Hello, I'm Daryl Root, and this is News Folder 19. No animal has been harmed, no human has been trafficked, and no rice farms have been created in the making of this podcast. And I didn't even have to drive to the studio since it's in my home. Therefore, little carbon. Oh my God, I'm turning into Greta Thunberg. <laughs> this is episode number 135. Today's topics include marriage, protectionism, free buses, and the environment. But before I get to all of that, please consider supporting Camp Ridger Seasonings, our sponsor. You can find them at CampRidger.net. That's R-I-D-G-E-R. They have great seasonings. They're all salt-free, so you can salt to your own taste. And they're as little as $7 per one cup container when buying four or more. That's CampRidger.net. With that, let's get into the stories. New story number one. This is out of Kello in Sioux Falls. A bill that would make it illegal for anyone under the age of 18 to marry in South Dakota has been heard in the House State Affairs Committee. Fortunately, it was shot down by a 5-2 vote. The bill had bipartisan sponsors, which included Republican Aaron Aylward, who was once a Libertarian Party Executive Committee member. Well, thank you for leaving. The party doesn't need government officials dictating who can or can't get married, especially with parental permission. Quote, I was genuinely shocked to see that it, meaning the marriage age, is still 16, said Representative Whitman, who also supported the bill. Quote, I was even more shocked when I did a little bit of research and spoke with the Department of Health, and I learned between the years of 2000 to 2020, over 800 minors have been married in South Dakota. To me, that was just unacceptable, unquote. And it was also none of your damn business when considering the fact that minors need parental permission to do so according to South Dakota law SD219. For the record, I had just turned 20 when I married my three months shy of 18-year-old girlfriend back when I lived in Pennsylvania. Had I lived under such a bill like this, I would have had to have waited another 93 days. It wouldn't have been a problem, but do you really think that extra 93 days would have changed the final outcome of my marriage? No, it wouldn't have. Government shouldn't be involved in marriage at all. Marriage should be a religious and or legal issue, not a government issue. Any person who wants to marry, if under 18, should be able to get parental permission, sign a legally binding contract at a lawyer's office, and get hitched. If someone can transgender at 16, they certainly should be able to marry at 16. Now, if we're talking 11, 12, 13, 14, maybe 15, that's a different story. 16, okay. Parental permission, fine. Syndicate leader Whitman, on the other hand, said one parent having the ability to give permission to marry is dangerous. She said there have been instances in the U.S., though not in South Dakota, where one parent will give permission to marry to free themselves of child support. 
So what? As long as it's not a forced marriage, it's none of your damn business. Even worse, according to Whitman's own data, the number of marriages involving minors in South Dakota declined from 99 in 2000 to just 11 in 2020. So it's much less of an issue now. We do not need a law for 11 people just because you have a personal disagreement with it. Quit the syndicate, get a real job, and take Aaron Aylward with you, please. New story number two. This is from WSFA out of Montgomery, Alabama. A state lawmaker wants to make sure Alabamans know where their seafood comes from. Representative Chip Brown will sponsor a bill to require a country of origin disclosure on seafood products in the state. Good for him. I'm all for it. But not quite for the reason he supports them, which is mostly protectionism. Current state law requires seafood suppliers to inform grocery stores and restaurants about the country of origin of their products. However, there is no mandate for those establishments to share the information with consumers and customers, which they should. Personally, I'd like to know where my food comes from so I can support local and state businesses. To better inform consumers, Brown filed a bill that requires grocery stores and restaurants to put the country of origin on seafood sold, whether it's on the menu or on the shelf. It should be on the package or the shelf, however, requiring it on menus goes too far in my opinion. Restaurants source from many areas, and requiring the info on menus often would be unfeasible. But let's get into the protectionism part. In 2020, Alabama's seafood industry contributed $560 million to the state's economy, and also that same year created over 11,000 jobs. Brown says his bill would protect employers and employees. Yes, protect. The only protectionism a company should require is their own quality of product and service. Just because a product is made in America doesn't necessarily guarantee quality. If you can't compete with the cheaper foreign products, your business strategy needs to be revisited. Naturally, the Alabama Department of Conservation and Natural Resources Commissioner Chris Blankenship argued that Mobile Bay and Gulf of Mexico products are better and that failure to pass country of origin labels subsidizes foreign nations' cheap labor costs. So yes, bring on country of origin labels, but do it to inform consumers like me who want to encourage and support American workers. Not because we feel a need to protect some individual businesses in a particular industry. New story number three. In the next episode of America Beggar Nation, in Chattahoochee County, Georgia, the school district is given a federal EPA grant, meaning free, totaling over $1 million for electric school buses and charging stations. How many buses did they get for this money? The answer is in the next sentence. Chattahoochee County School Superintendent Dr. Christy Brooks says they had to replace 
four old buses. One million, four buses, do the math, but wait till the end. Quote, we're not actually losing any buses by taking the old ones off our inventory. We were able to save our taxpayer dollars because we got free buses and we're also able to make a difference across our community and our environment. So it's been a win-win for us, unquote. Save your taxpayers dollars? Free? Seriously? Where the hell do you think that money comes from? In case you didn't know, which you should. After all, you are a superintendent who is supposed to be smart. It comes from taxpayers throughout the U.S. It was federal EPA. And those taxpayers included people in your district. It's not free. Here's yet another story of beggar nation. I can hear it now. We need new buses, but we can't afford them. So let's apply for freebies from the overlords. They hand out money every day. Great idea, Wanda. Let's mooch off of taxpayers that aren't even in our district. What website do I go to? Dr. Brooks says they've spent time testing each bus to learn the limit of each battery and how they run in different weather patterns. She says with the stops on base at Fort Moore, the quick battery charging is a plus. Quote, having the ability to have these buses that can charge so quickly and be out on the road so quickly has really been a benefit for where we're going in the future. Unquote. Because we all know an hour on a charger is so much quicker than seven minutes at a gas pump. At least she's not a math teacher. Dr. Brooks also added, Overall for us, we've updated our fleet and we are hoping to see some good outcomes in the future for where does this really take us in the terms of the environment. No, you didn't update your fleet. The taxpayer did. Taxpayers who aren't even in your district help. But what the heck, they're doing this everywhere. Up to 5,000 buses nationwide at 600 schools at a cost of $2 billion, which works out to 400000 per bus. Maybe we need to go back to riding horses. 400000 With that, it's time to take a short break. I'll be back in about 40 seconds. Only 15% of podcasters will ever earn a single penny in profits. Yet more continue to record for one reason. They enjoy informing and entertaining. If you'd like to support this show, visit newsfolder19.com and click on the Buy Me a Coffee or Merchandise links. All donations are greatly appreciated. Now, back to the show. Hello and welcome back to News Folder 19. Need to do my usual shout outs to Danheim who does all the background music and also to Susan Kennedy who does the voiceovers for the show. In addition, please share all the sites of this podcast, whether it be my Facebook page, my web page, which is newsfolder19.com, or the podcast page, which is newsfolder19. Buzzsprout.com. Please share, tell people about it, 
help this show grow. With that, let's get into the final two stories. News story number four. The fossil fuel industry funded some of the world's most foundational climate science as early as 1954, according to newly unearthed documents, including early research of Charles Keeling, famous for the Keeling curve that has charted the upward trend of the Earth's carbon dioxide levels. A coalition of oil and car manufacturing interests provided $158,000 in today's money to fund Keeling's earliest work across the western U.S. The Keeling curve has tracked the steady increase of the atmospheric carbon that drives the climate crisis. Keeling's research director, Samuel Epstein, wrote, quote, The possible consequences of a changing concentration of the CO2 in the atmosphere with reference to climate rates of photosynthesis, and rates of equilibration with carbonate of the oceans may ultimately prove of considerable significance to civilization, unquote. The word may only suggest a possibility. It is not a smoking gun that can be verified as a fact at the time, and it did not say a negative or positive significance although we assume negative. Supposedly, Exxon scientists made breathtakingly accurate predictions of global heating in the 70s and 80s, which I'm not buying, since predictions in the late 60s and 70s suggested global cooling as the world's next dangerous weather issue. One critic stated, quote, There is overwhelming evidence the oil and gas industry has been misleading the public and regulators around the climate risk of their product for 70 years. Trusting them to be part of the solution is foolhardy. We now moved into an era of accountability, unquote. Currently, the Earth's atmospheric CO2 level is 422 parts per million, which is nearly a third higher than the first reading taken in 1958, which is after the 1954 documents, and a 50% jump on pre-industrial levels. Just for the record, I recently watched a science documentary which stated at one point millions of years ago, CO2 levels were possibly 3,000 parts per million or six times as bad as they are today. And my car trip to Michigan last year was not the cause of it. But maybe Tom Cruise flying around in his private jet was. Who knows? A policy statement of the Air Pollution Foundation from 1955 calls the problem of air pollution, quote, one of the most serious confronting urban areas in California and elsewhere, unquote, and that the issue will be addressed via diligent and honest fact-finding by wise and effective action. And guess what? We have addressed it, and we continue to do so. Vehicles burn cleaner than ever. Factories burn cleaner than ever. At least in America they do. In addition, electric vehicles are the new fad, despite the swap of air pollution for land pollution. Which leads me into my last story. New story number five. 
environmentalists, are they their own worst enemy? When the Swedish battery manufacturer Northvolt announced plans to build a multi-billion dollar gigafactory in Quebec, the proposal was heralded as a win for Canada's ambitions to become a global green energy powerhouse and exalted as an environmental project which would minimize earth-destroying emissions. Four months later, however, protesters are describing the future factory as ecocidal disgrace and driving steel bars and nails into trees to prevent the company from clear-cutting forests and destroying wetlands ahead of construction. Imagine that. Environmentalists are injuring trees to keep them from dying. Injured trees, by the way, can die from disease. As I stated last week, environmentalists are environmental until someone wants to build a green project in their backyard. Then they become just mental. With nearly half of global emissions from automobiles, the European battery giant says plants like its future Northvolt 6 facility, which it claims has low carbon footprint and on-site materials recycling, are critical in the multinational effort to electrify vehicles. But a dispute around the plant has pitted environmentalists and First Nations against the company over fierce construction will destroy 170 hectares of wetlands and woodlands, killing or displacing at-risk species. So here's the problem. It's like a circus. Step right up, people. Try your hand at spinning the wheel. Which green will win the spin? Which one will lose the spin? The green of money, the green of trees, the green of cleaner air. Give it a shot. Step right up. <laughs> one nut job from the Mohawk Council of Kanawaki stated, quote, to stop Northvolt, we need to multiply our tactics and hit where it hurts, causing economic risk and uncertainty. We gave the forest weapons to defend itself, unquote. <laughs> well, isn't that special? The forest will be able to defend itself with nails and steel bars. Uh, maybe you should have given the tree some wooden stock AK-47s to defend itself. <laughs> In their defense, however, the report does state the vandalism was done anonymously, but the quote kind of says otherwise. Mark Bashai, a lawyer with the Quebec Environmental Law Center, went to court arguing permits to cut down trees were issued improperly and the province should have acted to protect environmentally important ecosystems from destruction. But a judge sided with the company, which has promised to plant 24,000 trees to replace the 8,730 trees it plans to cut down. The article goes into legal matters such as when independent environmental reviews are required and that the company and the government aren't interested in initiating one. So you see, even environmentalists can't agree on how to save the environment. Green, green! Oh, wait, you want to do that in my backyard? I'm not that green. Idiots. With that, it's time to call it another podcast. You know the mantra. Question authority and always be free. 
Thank you for listening to News Folder 19. All rights are reserved and unauthorized use is prohibited. However, you may share the podcast links. Till next time, have a great day.